What a week, y'all. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, I am here with co-host David Figler and Nevada Current reporter Michael M.J. Lyle. And we're talking about the Super Bowl's economic impact on Vegas, some controversial new housing proposed downtown, and the biggest scams in Vegas, according to TripAdvisor. It's Friday, February 16th. I'm Sarah Lohman, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. David, Michael, Michael, MJ Lyle, what's up? Hello. Hey, good morning, everybody. Okay, so first off, we have to really start with some disheartening, continuously disheartening news. Um, I'm sure you saw yesterday that there was a shooting at the Victory Parade in Kansas City for the for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, two or three gunmen opened up on the crowd. 21 people were injured. One person is dead, mostly kids. Like, we don't have to comment on it, but I, it just feels so unbearable that we're not allowed to gather and experience any joy because someone has a problem with something that happened in their life and picks up a gun and takes it out on the world. So it is a really awful ending to what was, I think, a really electrifying and feel-good weekend for everybody involved. So thinking of you, Kansas City... Um, thinking of you, United States government, please save us from ourselves. So I hate that we have to start on that note, but we are going to talk about the Super Bowl here in Las Vegas and um, hopefully a little bit more info on the economic impact here. So, David, can you take us into it? Yeah. So we know there were a lot of predictions about what was going to happen with Super Bowl weekend. Uh, there were a lot of predictions that there might be some violence or some bad things here. And it, I guess it just goes to show you uh, it, it could happen anywhere. And Vegas probably wasn't fairly being singled out on that. And it should happen nowhere, too. Absolutely. And it should happen nowhere. Let's make that really clear. Um, but, you know, some economic uh, numbers have started coming in. And I also want to say this, that, you know, whenever these economic numbers come in, they're always coming in with a bias uh, of just looking at the positive stuff. We don't really have uh, a good system of measuring winners and losers, just counting the winners. That's a very Vegas way. Uh, so there was a prediction that we would uh, have about $500 million in spending uh, they're saying now, just because it was such a success and so many more people came to Las Vegas than were anticipated, that the spending over the long Super Bowl weekend could be as much as $1.1 billion. What a contrast to F1 already. Yeah, yeah. And and the numbers will all bear out when we look at the actual, you know, taxes. But again, it's not a vacuum. It's not like nothing ever happens on Super Bowl weekend, you know, in yeah, years yeah. past. And we always forget to kind of compare it to the past, though I guess this one is definitely going to eclipse prior uh, for no other reason, the fact that we were the center of the universe. And then there's also, you know, the 
almost intangible, immeasurable impact of Las Vegas's exposure in a very positive right. light to the world. Constantly, we were the focal point. Uh, as I heard on the BBC uh, talking about the Super Bowl, they call it the most important sporting event in the United States. Yeah. And I think that's right, for whatever reason. I, I don't get it. And most watched ever this year. MJ, I don't get it. I don't get it. You know, it was fun to watch. It was definitely fun to watch. This is America's universal religion, David. That's why we all gather. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> so, you know, so a lot of money pouring in, a lot of people coming here. We don't really know how much the billionaires uh, behind it all make. You know, they don't they don't open up their banking accounts to let us see. Um, but we do know that some small businesses maybe got a little burnt here. Uh, and there was a story floating around that, you know, the tailgate that Guy Fieri was yeah. <laughs> sort of behind, you know, his face was there, big, big flavor town event behind the link. Uh, they invited locals, which everyone's like, oh, that's great. Let's have local businesses here. But apparently they didn't give them like the lay of the land. Uh, and as such, uh, some of them got burnt. They didn't realize they were walking into a situation where other vendors, big vendors, uh, big commercial national vendors were going to be giving away free food. So who in the world's going to go over and, and buy little sweet Yukon pizza, even though Aww. they are the best? And also they weren't even, from what I understand presenting pizza because Papa John's was there in big force. So oh. they were doing sausage sandwiches, sausage sandwiches, which is not their normal thing. And, and they got stuck with a bunch of stuff. Yeah, they were invited to sell food as opposed to being bought out with the like alongside with the funding, the corporate funders and the ticket price, you know, which also you do make everything free. Right. The event wasn't taking any extra risk. And yeah, not not a great move. Right. And so some of the shows were complaining, too, that they weren't getting the attendance uh, which was another complaint that they had during F1. There is a complicated calculus when it comes to Strip City and how events measure up and where the winners and losers actually fall. Um, and, and here's the thing. It doesn't really matter because Las Vegas is built, as many have said, uh, to throw parties. And we're yeah. really, really good at it. And so, you know, people come here and we just hope that they don't leave a horrible mess behind. And here there are little messes. Uh, hopefully they'll learn this lesson because I think overall, and we talked about it on the podcast, and I, I think it's the consensus that Super Bowl was a big hit, that yeah. the city pulled it off, that Strip City did what Strip City is supposed to do, and that they'll probably be back. Yeah, I mean, they have said Vegas was awesome. I think the, the exact quote was something like, you know, they really came through with the hospitality that Vegas is known for and that they love to come back. So if, you know, the Super Bowl does come back to Vegas, is there something that should be done differently the next time around? You know, I keep thinking about this article, and of course, this is a, a tough, such a me thing to say, and I'm sorry, I sound like such a pill every time, but I think it was out of the San Francisco <laughs> Chronicle. It was... uh. The person that is serving your $18 beer is only making $14 an hour. Um, and no health care. And no health care. And so that kind of sticks with me. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm such a pill. I'm such a Debbie Downer. But like, no, it's true. <laughs> I don't think that uh, that saying people should be making living wages means you're a pill. I, I think if someone's making you feel that way, they're not a real friend, MJ. Thank you. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. But like, when you talk about what things we should be doing differently... I will forever say this, like the city, the economic engine, the people that are making the city run 
can't afford their bills. Like, they can't afford yeah. places to live. They can't afford uh, to eat sometimes. Like, they can't afford their bills. And so when we were talking about attracting and bringing back these sports venues that are clearly succeeding in, these, right. in the city, we have to start talking about the people that are actually making the economic engine run and making this successful and how they're not making ends meet. And so I think yes. that needs to be a, a good lesson for our city of, like, how do we actually bring in all this money, but also make sure that this is equitable for everyone to actually uh, reap the benefits. So, Figler, thoughts? Well, on, on MJ's point, you know, like I said, we don't know how much, like, the people who were set to profit from the Super Bowl, you know, the Legion Stadium and, you know, whoever else made money off of it, the NFL, if you will, uh, they, they those ticket prices were outrageous. $8,000, $10,000, yeah, or more, and and uh, in, including the people who struck, struck, streaked, streaking the streakers, the bad streakers, the streakers, <laughs> the streakers. There's a really fun the partial streaker, the partial streakers. There we go. Um, there was a really fun story. I think it was in the RJ where they interviewed the guy who made it onto the field, and he's like, "I spent forty two grand for these tickets to wind up in jail. That was the stupidest thing I ever did." It was a very funny story. Yeah, so entitled. It was very funny, but he's like, I didn't even get to finish streaking. Oh, come on, my dude. Yeah, like, rah, rah. but here's my point. It's like the NFL made a big deal about giving money to charities and, you know, reaching out to the community and all that stuff. Um, whatever amounts of money they gave, and I guess there's like a, a lump sum, but some of the some of the nonprofits don't know exactly how much they got yet. Some, some people had posted that on social media. Um, it needs to be more. Mm-hmm. Like, le- yeah. if you're making all that money off of Las Vegas, if you're exploiting Las Vegas to the extent that you did, and and some people were really lying their pockets, I'm talking about tax money aside, like, step up that giving to the community. That would be something they should do in the future for sure. Listen, and just for the record, if you are a partial streaker, that's on you. If you're a streaker, you should be able to get those clothes off. You got to think ahead. You can't come in jeans. <laughs> tear away. Tear away. There's technology out there. You need some snap pants on. Like, you got to think ahead, right? Yeah, Usher did it. Uh, Usher did do it. I did see that. He did do that very smoothly. <laughs> like a pro. And then and it all led to his quick change into his roller skating Batman glitter outfit. So <laughs> absolutely perfect. So um, the Super Bowl generally was a success. I mean, I can say that like, Again, unlike F1, like I had a really good time last weekend. There was an energy in the city. It was fun to be here. There was a lot happening that was accessible by locals. So keeping that in mind, does this change sort of like the the public um, vibes as far as another publicly funded stadium? Speaking of the Oakland A's upcoming stadium. I can't speak for the public, but I'm going to say I'm a hard no. Um, There's nothing you could do. There's no amount of dollars that will come to the city that ever would convince me that spending public dollars, especially for a billionaire to build a stadium, is like, I just, I don't see the benefit, especially when there are so many deficits. I will say that uh, to the end. I'm not saying you don't build stadiums, but like... Let them build stadiums, but we don't have to actually fund that. Like, <laughs> yeah, Allegiant got seven hundred and fifty million in public funding, and and probably a little bit more than that. You know, that was what's reported. But I'm going to just say this: like all the public financing, all these people are making money. Like, if if they want, if all the economic analysts and and the LVCVA with Steve Hill want to say, look, we told you this was the right thing. Public financing worked out, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you built a great venue. You're having a great party. You're making a lot of money. Why not? 
put a requirement that they pay us back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're making, they're still profiting. Those companies that got the benefit of the public support through financing never are obligated to just pay it all back, like with interest. Like that should be any future public funding. Like you, you just you have to pay it all back with interest. It's like rent. You are renting yes. out the idea it's like a of loan. Las Vegas. Like, yeah, we're loaning you our backdrop. We're talking to you, F one, really. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll see. I'm sure it'll be a couple years before they come back. But I know there's going to be a lot more sports discussion on this uh, on our FNR in the future, on this pod in the future. So we'll get back to it. Totally different track here, but, you know, speaking of public funding and our our obligations to caring for our people, there are two newly proposed housing projects downtown, um, and they are getting some spicy reactions. MJ, can you take us into the story? Yeah. So on one hand, we have uh, in the Arts District near Main Street, a proposed uh, $180 million mixed-use project that's supposed to have 311 apartments plus uh, retail space down below. Uh, it's called the Flat Flats Arts District. Um, it's That is hard to say. Flats, Flats Arts. We're talking about our sibling S's. Flats Arts District. I know. Flats Arts District. The ruler. Um Deep cut for anyone that watches 30 Rock. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But yes, this project is being proposed. Most likely will come in line early March 2026. Everyone is like, yeah, we need more apartments. Like, got to bring more people downtown. We're going to have a great community and walking distance. But on the other hand, we have another project. It's a sober living site that is in the uh, neighborhood behind the stratosphere deemed the Naked City. Um, that is essentially going to be a 28-unit facility that will be doubled housing, so 68 people would live there, but designed for sober living, essentially. But the neighborhood is saying, absolutely not. Not my backyard. Like, we have so many safety concerns. Some of the quotes from the neighbors uh, in the Review Journal story is essentially... I'm afraid of people that are being released from prison on drug infractions coming and living here. And so this will be taken up by uh, Las Vegas Planning Commission next week. But the city is city staff is recommending them deny this project. And so it's mostly likely not going to come into effect. So going back to the flat arts project, um, they have not specified what the rents are going to be. But so it's most likely going to be fair market rents, which, to be fair, most people in the city still can afford, like our top professions in the city can't afford that. Um, uh, going back to what I said about the Super Bowl money and like the people yeah, that yeah, are pouring yeah. your bill. So most people most likely won't be able to afford that. Um, looking at some of our ho- homeless data and some of our housing data and like what we need for the most vulnerable populations, I would say we need more silver living facilities. Um, there is a ballot measure or a, a proposed ballot measure. We need more sober living facilities. Yeah, we need more transitional housing in particular for various populations, whether it's unhoused coming off the street to people that are exiting prisons after serving their time. Um And so there's different types of housing that we need to actually serve various vulnerable populations for us to be a successful community and make sure that these people don't recidivate and return to the 
the the lives that they were at. So, but not in my neighborhood, somewhere else. What? Yeah. So solve a mystery for me here, MJ, and then we'll come to you, David. Sorry to, mm-hmm. to talk over you, no, no, no. but you know these projects are just a few blocks away from each other, but they're worlds apart in the reception. Why, MJ? Why would people want one housing but not the other? <laughs> no one ever wants like the complicated housing. Everyone keeps talking about I don't want a drug dealer to live in my my backyard, which is deep heavy sigh in this. Um, let's be clear: people use drugs. People have mental illnesses that have them prone to drug addiction all over the community in Southern Nevada, whether it's Summerlin and Henderson. So what you're saying is, I don't want to outright know what my neighbor is doing. Yeah. And, um, I don't want my community to live in my community. Exactly. Um, but yeah, everyone is opposed to any type of housing that is targeted towards helping those from marginalized and vulnerable backgrounds. And so this is no exception. And so we have people that are screaming, we need more housing. But every time we try to get those housing, they're like, not that type of housing. Not here. David, I'm sorry to interrupt you. What were you going to say? Well, I was just curious if MJ knows why the city of Las Vegas is, uh, planning department is um, recommending a denial of that sober um, parolee uh, housing project in the Naked City. I do not know why they're recommending to deny. Um, I will, whenever they this comes up next week, I'm actually probably going to listen to it to see what their reasonings are. Um, I would imagine it's the neighborhood backlash. So a big question. I mean, we're talking, let's talk specifically about like the sober, well, sober living, but also, you know, not just affordable housing, any kind of halfway supportive housing for vulnerable communities. What does this say about our city? That we can't build it, that every place we try to build it, the neighborhood is is an up, in an uproar. So I do want to make one quick note before I forget is with uh, Nevada, I think like a lot of prison systems has a backlog on people that are eligible for parole but aren't being released. And part of the many reasons, there's many reasons for that. But one of the reasons is there's not enough places for them to live whenever they're leaving prisons. And so that's keeping them longer inside, which is heartbreaking. And we should think about that in a heartbreaking humanitarian uh, uh, standpoint. But that's also a that's costing you as a taxpayer, just so you know. You're you're paying for them to stay longer when they actually are eligible for release because you're opposed to sites yeah. that actually could uh, house them when they're finished serving their time, when they're coming out of prison. Uh, and, you know, there's more evidence to suggest that sober living with wraparound services it puts people on the right path. And so basically it's just a lot of fear-mongering around understanding. Yeah. And it should be the job of elected officials to hold town halls, to listen to it, and to make hard arguments of saying, this is why we need to do this. This is what the evidence shows around this. This is yes. what, like, we need to... This is what makes our community our community and whole. Like, I don't want to hear one more politician be like, hashtag Vegas strong, and then, like, vote against uh, the things that we actually need <laughs> to... Uh, actually help everyone in our community, including the most vulnerable. And I just want to add really quickly that the other project that everyone seems to be loving, when you look at some of the numbers, and like MJ said, we don't know what the rents are going to be, The a large portion of that are studio and one-bedroom apartments. So the days of casino workers sharing an apartment, like all those days are gone. And that used to be how people mm. made it in our community. I grew up in an apartment complex that had 
two bedroom places and in on one side would be one casino worker on the other of, of the apartment would be a different they shared expenses they shared living expenses they were roommates essentially to be able to fund that huge economic engine of ours gambling and hospitality and these new projects are not geared for that who they're geared for i think are the mythical single professional with expendable cash that everyone wants to bring into the neighborhood yeah and the ones you want to see at the fancy restaurants and not the ones you don't want to see who are struggling to get their shit back together. I mean, listen, and I'm also not anti-mixed-use housing. I do think that um, Las Vegas needs more of it. I love the idea of apartments above businesses and walkable communities. Like, that is the dream. And I've seen that in spaces where it's really worked. And downtown needs that, too. Yeah. And I also understand why uh, the sober living is pitched for downtown, because Downtown is trying to gentrify responsibly, right? They're trying to provide services for the people, for all the people who make up that community. You know, that being said, some people might push back and say, you know, why aren't we building this type of housing in Summerlin? Should all that onus be on one community that's already struggling? Could you imagine this being pitched in Summerlin, how Summerlin people? But to answer your question a little bit more simply. In in one of the gated communities. Yeah. Since it's all gated up there. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, Summerlin. Yeah. Everyone I love lives in Summerlin. But, uh... Other than the fact that, like, Henderson, Summerlin, these outskirt populations would pitch a fit, it just practically wouldn't work because we have, as a city, have built a lot of social services that the type of social services many of this population would need to be centralized and not pocketed. We've put a lot of our eggs in one basket and we don't have a the greatest transit system, unfortunately. I was just going to say downtown is somewhat walkable. Summerlin is not. Yeah. So if someone it doesn't have access to a car, they still need to access their services. Absolutely. And so it just makes more, because we have not set up the city to actually uh, scatter a lot of the services that we need and we don't have the transit that we need to get people to connect, easily connect people to the type of social services need. It makes sense to put some of these facilities downtown. But as a result, you get a lot of people saying, why are you putting this all on us? When the fact is, this isn't like a yes or either or situation. Like we need to actually look at this at a holistic standpoint of like, yeah. yes, we need to actually build a more cohesive city that has a better transit system that has pockets of social services scattered throughout the city while also cropping up sober, sober living in the places that have those facilities right now. I mean, if you think the NIMBYs are bad downtown, try doing any of these projects in Anthem. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that line will be a little longer at the planning commission meeting for uh, the people in opposition. MJ, thank you so much for these really thoughtful insights into these housing developments. It's The story has been frustrating me, and I really didn't realize how many layers and layers and layers it goes down to just not serving people in need and serving everyone, honestly, in our community. We'd all be benefit from public transit. Absolutely. So, all right. I got something that's a little more fun, but it, it's also going to make me salty. I Really, I just bring the angry energy to Friday morning. So, according <laughs> to Casino.org, um, they have listed the biggest scams, quote unquote, in Vegas. And they did this by going to TripAdvisor and um, looking for places that visitors have flagged by scams, essentially by focusing on keywords like scam, ripoff, waste, and misleading. Now, I was intrigued by this because I'm thinking scam. I'm thinking the confidence games like on the, the bridges over the strip, right? <laughs> and looking into this, I realized that very few, they're using 
not to be pedantic. Is that the right word, David Figler? Mm -hmm. But they're using the wrong word. Uh, These aren't scams. Like, based on the reviews and the rankings, they're just stuff that people spent money on and then didn't like. And maybe they spent a lot of money on it and then didn't like it. Although, Sarah, let's be fair to the timeshare people who are on that list. That's a scam. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So there are, I would say, two things on here that I am like, oh, yeah, that was a scam. But first, I'll give you like the number ones. So the sort of number one performance or show or entertainment that's considered a scam is the Blue Man Group. Of all things. Boo. Yeah, our beloved Blue Man Group. I've seen the Blue Man Group. I mean, again, they have been around one million years, so maybe the content feels dated. But again, it's just like people spent money on the ticket and they were like, I didn't like it. It's not a scam. They got what they paid for. Um, So the number two scam out of the top 10 biggest, again, air quotes scams is minus five ice bar. Um, One hilarious comment said, I spent $20 on a cocktail to sit in a meat locker. No, thank you. Again, not a scam. That's on you. Not a scam. You can look up prices. just (laughs) But very, very descriptive. I've been there. That is exactly what it is. And that's why I've never been into minus five ice bar. I think it's dumb. It's not a scam. It's exactly what it is. Now, that being for the the third ranking is something I'd not even heard of. Blue Green Vacations Club 36. There's your timeshare, my friend. Yes. (laughs) And someone said that they they dumped like $12,000 into services they never got. Like this one actually does seem like a scam. Um, Okay. That I would count as a scam. The other thing on their top 10 list, again, like Penn and Teller is on there. I saw the Penn and Teller show with my mom. I had a harsh. great time. Yeah, it's super harsh. There were tons of nerds there. Like, yeah, it's it's for smarties. That's why you liked it. It's for smarties. And like people were just like, there wasn't enough magic. And I'm like, what the f- are you talking? I don't I didn't get it. <laughs> there weren't any boobs. Not, where were the boobs? Where are the boobs? Not a, not a scam. I bet if you shot it that long enough, like, Pen or teller might show you a little, a little, a little TNA. Little nip flip. Not a scam. You just didn't like it. The one thing on here that I do know is a scam is Chris Angel Mind Freak. Which... <laughs> oh, ouch, ouch, ouch. My friend went last year for her birthday and they were really excited about it. Did you know that Chris Angel is not actually in the show? No. He's not in the building. What? What? I'm, no, that can't be. No, that's not true, Sarah. It's 100% that's not, true. There was a story recently how he like came down out of nowhere and put a guy in a chokehold for being rude. Oh, my so God. So he's there. Oh, he's, okay, so apparently he's in the building. He's working security, but he's there. Yeah, he's doing the spotlight. There's like a hologram of him in the foyer where there's sort of like a history of Chris Angel, like sketches he made in high school and shit like that. And then the show has very little magic and no Chris Angel. That is a scam. There's no mention that Chris Angel is not involved in Chris Angel Mind, mind Freak. Okay, so... We are, I'm getting some more information from my producer. So they did say that Chris Angel's supposed to be in the show, but if he's sick or has a call out or whatever, they still run the show without Chris Angel and he's never on stage. And they also said that in those cases, you can get your money back, but there was no sort of announcement of that or anything when my friend went, this is probably- She had to be proactive. Yeah, about a year and a half ago. But she also, there was no indication that this wasn't the show. Like they were just like, we think this is the show as presented. So. So all of that being said, on the top 10 list, it's number four as uh, right after the timeshare as one of the scammiest things in in Las Vegas. They label the show as a waste and poor magic and pure waste of money and a marketing scam. And finally, a mind freaking ripoff. So sorry, 
Chris Angel, that I per- apparently have a personal vendetta against you. So are there any that you in- take issue with that I mentioned or that you endorse as a scam wholeheartedly? The Blue Man Group. That's so harsh. Like, I've seen it's that really multiple harsh. times. Like, Number that's not one. a scam. If you don't like, yeah, I agree with you. If you don't like it, that's not like a scam. Like, yeah. you don't know what you went into, maybe, but that's not, you're not being scammed. Like, the the bar, like, look up the prices. If you sit down and you see the prices are not what you like, like, leave. Like, that's not a scam. Like It's cold. That's the point. It would be bar. scam if they said, this is $5 for a shot, and then you got your bill, and it was actually $20. Like, that's a because scam. Because that's a scam. Or if the Circus Circus Buffet were to present itself as the best <laughs> buffet in the history of Las Vegas with the most delicious food that won't give you diarrhea, 100% guaranteed, <laughs> and then you went there, then it's a scam. But they don't advertise that way, and yet Circus Circus Buffet also showed up on the scam list, Sarah. <laughs> which craziest Bacchanal was also on the scam list. Yeah, which is the, uh, like, both ends, literally, of of the uh, digestive spectrum. They tied. <laughs> Ironically, they tied for fourth place on the, like, food and drink one. So, like, this is such an arbitrary list that someone who is probably not getting paid enough to, like, write an article wrote out of desperation, and I understand that, and I've been there, but it's... It's also just like frustrating. Um, But now here's where we take a personal. Um, According to you, what are the biggest scams in Las Vegas? I think the biggest scam is the fact that uh, the gaming tax rate is 6.75% compared to other states we uh, that have made MGM properties, for example. Uh, in Michigan, they pay their tax rate is 19%. Maryland, it's 20 to 40%. New York is 30 to 45%. Ours is 6.75%. If you ever read Nevada Current, uh, Nevada Current editor Hugh Jackson always talks about this. He has a column out this week that, again, talks about our low tax rate and gambling revenue. So I think that's the biggest scam on, uh, on people. You know, I, I've seen this, this trend lately of these like four figure stakes at steakhouses in Las Vegas mm-hmm. and it's like how is that not a scam four you know, figure four, oh yeah you could go to like the Salt Bay place whatever that one is Salt Bay it's the Salt Bay guy yeah he comes out and you know sneezes paprika onto your steak and then that bumps it up another uh, thousand oh. bucks no, thank or you, you know they're were, they were showing one at the Fountain Thousand. Blue where they come out with sparklers and then they open up a box like in the, in Pulp Fiction with your steak in it. And like, look, I get you're paying for an experience. You know what you're doing if you have that kind of money. But at the end of the day, I think that's kind of a scam. Not the same level scam of the fake cannabis places that are popping up all over. Yeah, that is a scam. Yes. <laughs> that is a real deal scam. Like you see the tourists in there, especially like the one on Fremont Street or the ones on Fremont Street. And there's a like the teeniest, tiniest sign that says cannabis is not offered at this location. Yeah. And yet you've got the tourists like handing over money for blunts or whatever the hell it is it's like you're literally giving them i think hemp rope (laughs) you know (laughs) and calling it hemp i don't know but to me that seems pretty pretty scammy pretty Pretty scammy scam um okay my biggest scam and also practical piece of advice is do not get cash out of atms and casinos like they will charge you between eight and ten dollars at the the atm and up sarah it's going up. And up and up. I mean, yes, I think the last time I had to take money out was at Red Rock. So it was $8 on site. And Red Rock, you know, way off, way off strip. Someone had posted, Sarah, 
that they took $20 out of an ATM with a $10.99 ATM fee. Oh my gosh. Okay, but that's not even the end of it because then your bank charges you again. Yes. So you also, the fees double. So to take out $20, it can cost you as much as $20. I mean, payday lending places are like, hold my beer, but still. (laughs) Right, right. All right, well, what another heated episode with things that make us angry about we're turning into an angry morning show, y'all. <laughs> I just want to say I love Las Vegas. I love Las Vegas, too. I think that's why I get so angry about this stuff. MJ, same? Same, yeah. I just I love it so much, I want it to like, succeed. Same. So last but not least, in some very local news, uh, I think most of you all know by now that our esteemed newsletter editor, Scott Dickensheets, is retiring. We're very happy and sad at the same time. But we have found someone that... Maybe can't fill Scott's shoes, but is definitely bringing his own shoes to the table. Is that a saying? So a big welcome to our new newsletter editor, Rob Cashelrice. His first uh, email will be on Tuesday. And David, you've known, you know Rob, you know everybody. Well, I've, I've met Rob, but I will tell you this. He had his first piece in Thursday's newsletter, if you got to see it. He wrote about the Whataburger yeah. who's coming to town. I'm just going to say this right now. Whataburger, what a writer. It was a good piece. So I think people are really going to enjoy Rob's stylings. I think that my internal organs hurt from that. From that endorsement, that actually hurt me. Okay, that was amazing. And I admit that the article was so interesting. I really learned a lot. All right. Thank you both for bringing the opinions and bringing the puns. Thank you so much for having me. Always a joyride. Always a joyride. That's all for today here in CityCast Las Vegas. Our producers this week were Sonia Cho Swanson, Leila Mohammed, Natalie Rivera, and A.K. Almumen. Our newsletter editors are Scott Dickensheets and Rob Cashelrice. Our hosts are David Figler and me, Sarah Lohman. Music by OG Moose, Epidemic Sound, and all the kimonos. We record this show on the traditional homelands of the Nawuvi, the Southern Paiute people. And if you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend? Rate the show and leave us a review, please. And subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back Tuesday morning with more news from around the city. Take care. We, we hear you and you're screaming in your head, so I don't think it's in your head. I know it does leak out of those stupid ears of mine. It does leak out. <laughs>